You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, good morning. Welcome to Living Way Church today. Glad you're here. It is graduation season. Yes? Anybody know any graduates? Yeah? Some of you guys, anybody graduating this college or high school? Anybody? Anyone? You did this? Kind of any graduates high school in here? I know we got some high school youth that are graduating. Junior high graduates? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, college graduates? All right. Uh, we are going to be honoring our graduates coming up in the next couple weeks, so be listening for that. Um, you know, you walk across the stage, they call your name, right? At a graduation, they call your name. And, and the, the big challenge is to not stumble, not to trip, not to fall. If you're like public school education uh, graduations, they, they, you know, there's thousands of people out there, right? You're like probably the largest crowd that some of you will ever be in front of or have been in front of so far to date, right? And so you just want to make sure, ladies, in your heels, you don't trip and stumble and guys that you don't black out, right? Uh, but they call your name. And uh, what we've been talking about on this series, Hello, My Name Is, is that you are more than just your name. I mean, you are your name, but I'm more than just Ted Blair. Uh, We are, as if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there's something else that you are, and that's what we're talking about each week. We're looking at a different level of who you are. Today, I'm going to talk about how my name is Ted Blair, and uh, I'm an ambassador I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Uh, Have you ever been in one of those what should I do moments? You know, like maybe uh, at work something happened or you're at school and, you know, and something tends to get a little out of hand. How many of you guys ever been in a room where where a fight broke out? Anybody? Raise your hand if you've ever been in a room where a fight broke out. All right. Now, maybe some of you is when you're in school. Uh, I'm just curious. How many of you as adults, grown-up people, have been in a room where a fight broke out? <laughs> it's kind of just, I, 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 would, I would love to know when on another, on another level, you know? Because it's not too often, other than like an organized match of, of fighting, where you're with grown people, and unless you're someplace where that sort of environment happens, usually alcohol is involved. Uh, but you, you get into a big fight... And uh, maybe you're somewhere, maybe when you're a student or you're a teacher or you're at a place, at a restaurant, a fight breaks out, people are going at it. And uh, how many of you ever seen somebody throw a punch at somebody? Okay, have you ever seen him actually make contact? All right, and how many, don't raise your hands on this one. Part of you, some of you don't raise your hand. You were like, how many of you wanted, don't raise your hand. How many of you wanted to go like, fight, 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 <laughs> you know? Remember those days? Hey, now you can raise your hand. Remember those days? Yes, uh, I just didn't want to point out the, the people who are instigating the fighting to raise their hand to identify yourself. So we have this kind of desire when you see a fight break out, come on, I'm picking that guy. I'm, you know, immediately you, you take a side, maybe it's someone you don't know, um, or you're in a, in a situation and you've got to ask yourself, uh, what was the response uh, that we should have taken? What was this response that we should be taking because in life, we are confronted with and in an environment that is opposite of what we normally have or what we 
are to do. Do we yell, fight, 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 or do we bring peace to the moment? So I want to ask you a question, but I want to preface with this, is that when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And that is what this series is all about, is knowing who you are and how it shapes our actions in our daily life. In week one, we talked about how you are a a masterpiece of God, crafted by the master artisan himself. You are a valuable, wonderful, beautiful creation of God. His handiwork at his best, created for good works, not to hang on a wall, but to make a difference in the world. And then last week, we talked about how you are a child of God. In Christ, you have family. In Christ, you belong. In Christ, you are cared for. You are wanted. You have a place in his kingdom. And today, I want to talk about being an an ambassador. So the markers and the name tags, have they already started, are on their way around the room. And I want you to take a name tag. I want you to put your name on it and uh, write with the marker uh, your name and ambassador. Now, here's what I want you to do is later on, if you're stuck with the marker, do me a favor, drop it in the offering bucket later on. That'd be great. So we don't have to keep buying markers each week. Some of you guys have been great at returning them. Some of them, you got a marker out of service last couple of weeks. Uh, here's the problem is that most Christians do not know who they are. And as a result, they don't know what to do. Uh, when we understand what happens when we are made new, we understand our new position in Christ. We understand that everything we do becomes extremely valuable and important. You might think I'm not that important when you think about yourself. You might think about yourself, well, I'm just a, a regular guy, a regular gal. I'm just, just a regular Christian. I'm, ju- I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a student. I'm just an entry-level teller. There's nothing regular about you. If you are in Christ, you are filled with the same exact spirit that rose Christ from the dead. That same spirit dwells in you, and you are anything but regular. What I want to do is I want to focus on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. You can look on the screen. Verse 14 begins, for Christ's love compels us. Some translations say constrains us. That means reigns us in, holds us captive. That means our number one motivation as a follower of Jesus Christ is not getting into heaven. It's not being a better person. It's not even making some sort of mark on history. And, and our, our number one motivation is that Christ's love compels us. It constrains me to just that one ideal. This is what Paul is saying in this passage in chapter 5. He says, the love of Christ, or Christ's love compels us. Why do we endure all the pain as a follower of Christ? Why do we put in all the effort? Why do we come early and set up the sound? Why are there volunteers in KidVenture right now that worked on a program this week and put things together? Why do you serve? Why do you volunteer? Why do you lead a life team? I'll tell you why. Because Christ's love compels you. If there's anything else other than Christ's love, your motivation is in the wrong space. It's the love of Christ because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. That means Christ's death is able to save all people. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them 
and was raised again. See, we as followers of Christ, if you are a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here today because you're going to find out what our motivation should be as believers, if you're on the outside watching us. If you are a Christian, this is an opportunity for you to check and double check and triple check your motives as to why you are doing and living and motivated to do the things that you do. Because as this passage says, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him. I'm not living for you even. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't start this church for you. I started it for him. He led. He's the senior pastor. Jesus is the senior pastor. I'm not living for you. I'm living for him who died for me and who rose again. This is how you know if you are a Christian. Who do you live for? Do you live for yourself? Do you live for your plans? Do you live for your goals? Christianity is not just a confession. It's more of a submission a submission to Christ's will and way for your life. The Bible says that we must repent or turn from our way and turn to his way. See, it is a submission to his will, understanding that his death on a cross gave us the, uh, the fellowship and the relationship with the Father that is necessary for us to follow and to live in submission to God. You see, some of you, you've made a confession, but you have no submission. So my challenge would be that you have acknowledged a belief system, a doctrine, or a theology, but you're not truly born again because you've never submitted your life to the authority of Jesus in your life. Christianity is not just a confession. It is a submission. Here's verse 16. So from now on, says from this day forward, after we become a follower of Christ, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We look at, at the world. I look at you. We look at each other differently. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. You see, there are some of you that still don't understand the big deal about Jesus. What's the big deal? A historical figure died on a cross and some believe he rose again. And some believe that miracles followed him and those who follow him. Some of you, you know, what is the big, why raise our hands? Why sing songs? What's the big deal? But see, some of you, you no longer live for yourself. And you understand and embrace what Christ has done for us. You understand and see the significance of it. So as this passage says, you, you don't regard the world in the same way that the world looks at things. You know, someone who's not a follower might come in and see us praising Jesus and go, these people are just weird. And some of you who think you're a Christian, you look at those that are Christians worshiping and you think, those guys are weird. That's because you still are regarding them from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we know uh, we do so no longer. As a follower of Christ, the world looks different. Every person looks different. Every event looks different. Our jobs look different. School looks different. 2 Corinthians 4.18 and 5.7 says that we have spiritual eyes, that those who are followers of Christ, we see things that those who are not followers of Christ do not see. And then one of my favorite passages is the very next verse. It says, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... 
The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I love that. I love that verse. You are forgiven and you have a new purpose. You're not just pardoned. You are put in a new position. Salvation does not stop at grace because you are given a brand new life with a new destiny, a new purpose, a new direction, and a new motivation. He goes on to say, all this, verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us, who, the, the, talking about those that are born again, those that have, have been regenerated by the Spirit, those that bowed the knee to Christ, had turned from themselves and turned to Christ, those that are no longer in this direction, but now in this direction, that used to look at the world in this direction, but now look at the world through the eyes of Christ. He says, there are those from God uh, that this is true. All this is from God who reconciled us, the born again or the Christian, to himself through Christ and gave us, those who are Christians, the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that's a big word, reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. Good job. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, what does that word mean? reconciliation. See, Jesus has committed to you and commissioned you, if you are a follower of Christ, with the message or the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? Reconciliation in this context basically means to restore to God. You see, the word reconciliation means to, to make right, to bring harmony, or to fix. Like, for instance, if you're an accountant and you reconcile the account, you make right and the budget and balance the account. You fix the problem, right? If you have two friends that are not getting along and you uh, are apart or you decide to get it right, you reconcile, fix, bring back into harmony that relationship. Now, Jesus has, has reconciled us back to the Father. He has given us that opportunity to be in right relationship, to be in harmony through the cross, that relationship with God that was at odds because of our sin. Jesus fixed, reconciled, brought into harmony that relationship. He reconciled us to the Father, that verse says. And then Jesus gave you, follower of Christ, the ministry or the message of reconciliation. That means we are given the message or the ministry of restoring the world or people to God. This is what Christ has done for us. On the cross, Jesus gave us the opportunity to become restored and in a harmony with God through our confession of sin and through what he's done on the cross. By faith, we are saved. And so what God has done is he's given Christ the baton. He says, you've reconciled me to my creation. And here's what Jesus does. I need, can I have three people come down here real fast? Sean, you're on the end. Can I have a couple more? Uh, anybody else? Just three people real fast, real fast. Okay, back row Joes. All right, if you guys could just stand up in a line here. Thanks, Tiny. And uh, all right, a young person. You can fit in any, hey, two, two people in red shirts. Where's your red shirt? Okay, here you go. Good job. All right, here, go on the other side of Sean. This is cool. So here's what happens. Christ has done this. You, 
can now be in right relationship with God. And then Jesus says, now I have reckoned, this is, represents the message of the cross. This represents that relationship of reconciliation. Let's all step down three steps. Okay. Now Jesus does this. Jesus says, now I give you the message of reconciliation. He passes the baton to us. Now what are we supposed to do with that? We are to pass on the message of reconciliation. And we continue to pass on the message of reconciliation. Guys, we are here today because the disciples passed on the message of reconciliation. The reason that some of you are followers of Christ is because somebody in your life passed on the baton of the message of Christ to you. But here's what we often do. Pass it back this way, and Tiny, you just hold it. Some of you, you've been given the message, the ministry of reconciliation, and you just hang on to it. You know the message. You know the story. You understand what Christ has done for you. But for some of you, the message has bottlenecked with you. Because you're not passing on, and and the body of Christ is not seeing the growth of new believers that we used to have. You know, we you know, mega churches are getting bigger, and medium-sized churches like ours are getting smaller. And you know what? Mega churches are not getting bigger uh, because of new convert growth rate. The new convert growth rate of a mega church is about five percent. That means five percent of a church's growth, if it's a mega church, is from new believers. 90 to 95% is from transfer growth from a believer to another church, from another church. So you have, and by the way, the smaller the, or the newer the church, the more likelihood they are to have a, a convert conversion rate. That means people are more likely to spread that baton message. That means on a, on a plant church, uh, a young church, uh, the, the conversion rate for, for church growth is more in the 50 to 60% of the people come from salvation. But as the smaller churches are getting smaller and the larger churches are getting bigger, it's not because more people are becoming Christians. It's because more churches are becoming warehouses for Christians who want to hang on to the baton of the message of Christ. And they're just, they're just cattle herding them in, cattle herding them out, and the message is not being spread, but they are providing a great service so people flock to the place to get their needs met but they're not passing on the message of Christ. Why don't you pass it on? And here's what happens. Some of you, let's go to the next verse. Some of you, mom and dad, are like Sean, and you've got that message. We have a young person down here. You know, some of you, parents, mom, dad, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation to your family, and it is up to you to pass it on to the next generation. And if you're not passing on that message, guess what happens? It's what's happening right now. We have a whole new generation called the nons. See, uh, 20 years ago, uh, what happened was there was a shift in the culture where people stopped going to church and they stopped passing on the baton to their kids. And as a result, in the last decade, we have a whole group of people in in the U.S. called the nons. That means they're people who are just not interested. 
They, didn't, they weren't raised in it. They don't know anything about it. They're not really interested in it. They've, they've heard of Jesus, maybe know a little bit about church, but it's not their thing. They're non-interested. So you could even, you could have, the, you could have a blowout service, laser lights, smoke. You can have these amazing Father's Day and Mother's Day events, these massive, you know, events where you do the circus and the crowds, but because we have a whole new group of nons, they're just not interested. They're just not interested. And a lot of that is because along the line, we have a generation of adults and older adults here. You did not, you were like this guy, and you didn't pass it on to the next generation. And as a result, we have an entire generation of the U.S. that is decreasing. Our church conversion growth rate is going down as the population of the nation goes up. There's less and less people who desire to know anything about Jesus. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we're going to lose a generation. Okay? Thank you, guys. I'm going to use this baton again. Thank you. Let's give it up for our volunteers. Christ has given us the baton, the ministry of reconciliation to fix lives, to restore families. Now it's yours to pass on that message, that news. It's now ours to tell. And this is what he says next. This is this is what it means by the verse that says, I'm an ambassador. This is what he's been talking about. He's passed it on to us. Now, verse 20, we are therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. That means if you want to know what the therefore is about, you look at the verses before it. And what he just said is God has given us the ministry of reconciliation to pass on. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. This then is our appeal. He says that we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled or get in harmony with God. See, you are an ambassador to this world sent by God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have bowed the knee to Jesus, I'm not just Ted Blair, I am Ted Blair an ambassador. And listen, Christian, you are an ambassador to this world sent by God. God has positioned you to be his voice, to be his hands, to be his feet in this generation while you're breathing air. From the moment you are understanding of the gospel of Jesus, regardless of your age, to the moment you breathe your last breath on this life and enter into the glory of your great inheritance as a child of God, this little time zone of your life, it could be 20 years, it could be 120 years, whatever that span is, as long as you have breath, you are an ambassador of God sent to the world, whether you are sick, whether you are well, whether you are in full body capability, or whether you can run like the wind or cannot, you are an ambassador to this world sent by God. Whether you can speak from a platform or will never have an audience beyond one, you are an ambassador to this world sent by God. Whether you can sing a song before thousands or a room of hundreds, you are an ambassador of God sent to the world. You may never be known by your name other than Jesus knowing your name, which is all that counts. 
but you are an ambassador to this world, sent by God. Those of you that go to work tomorrow, you are an ambassador of God, sent to this world by God. Walk into that place as an ambassador. And we're going to unpack what it means to be an ambassador. Three simple, simple truths about being an ambassador. What is an ambassador? Very simple. They are the highest ranking diplomat sent as a representative from one country to another. If I was the ambassador of the United States to Russia, Russia would not be my home. But I would be the highest ranking diplomat diplomat representing our nation. And if you are a Christian, you are Christ's ambassador, the highest ranking diplomat sent by God, a citizen of heaven, sent by the Father to the earth. So say this with me if you are a Christian. I am Christ's ambassador, sent by God. To this world. As Christ's ambassadors, three simple thoughts. You might think, well, I don't feel like an ambassador. And sometimes you may not act like an ambassador, but you are one. Maybe you just don't realize it, Christian. So three things you need to know. The first one is in that great passage in 2 Corinthians 5:17, a great salvation message. And that is, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. You need to understand this first. This is point number one, is that you, as a follower of Christ, you have a new citizenship. You are not just forgiven, you are repositioned. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Jesus is your king. Heaven is our home. We are foreigners in a strange land. We are travelers passing through. Do I believe in illegal aliens? I am one. (laughs) Because my citizenship is a spiritual citizenship. Citizens of heaven first, American second. See, if you get to travel the world and see Christians from around the globe, whether it be in Europe or Africa or in South America, you know what you all have in common? If you get to travel and see with other Christians, you're all part of the, you're citizens of the same kingdom. And just because I was born in America doesn't make America better than the other Christians in other parts of the world who have it more difficult or more painful or much more persecution. Because I'm a citizen of heaven first, I'm an American second. And I love America. But it's important, Christian, that you understand that there's a difference between patriotism and Christianity. They are not the same. A patriot is not necessarily a Christian. And a Christian may not necessarily be a patriot. Philippians 3.19 and 20 says, Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mindset on earthly things. These are the people apart from Christ. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. John 17.16, Jesus says, You are not of the world, even as I am not of this world. You see, where I come from, in, in, in the kingdom that I represent, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, compassion, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, grace, a tremendous love for others. These are the constitution and the guide by which I am to live by, regardless of the constitution of the nation that I am a, 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 a organized citizen of. My constitution is the word of God above the constitution of the United States. Or if I'm in Mexico, or if I'm in Europe, or Russia, it is above them because I'm an ambassador. I'm a foreigner here. Earth is not our home. We live in this world, but not of this world. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Here's number two. You need to write this down as an ambassador. Is You are not elected by people, but you are chosen and appointed by God. It does not matter what other people think about you. You are chosen by God to be his ambassador. Some of you have bowed the knee to Christ, and you struggle in your walk with God. And someone might say, you're not ready to be an ambassador. I'm, I'm sorry to say, if you are a follower of Christ, regardless of whether you got your life all together, by the, hey, here's a tip. Nobody's ever going to get their life all together. Our redemption, our full redemption, we are saved and we are being saved and we will be glorified. There's a day, it's called salvation, redemption, and then sanctification or justification, sanctification, glorification. It's the process of our life. You are made holy in the eyes of Jesus. We are called to be holy. That's the process of maturity that we take throughout this journey called world living life earth. But there's, a, there's only one day when we will best be set free from our habits fully, and that is the day that we see Jesus, the day that we are glorified in heaven. All of our issues, all that bad attitude that you struggle with, all that impatience, all that anger, all those little issues that are messing around with you and your brain and all that lust, all that stuff is a continual battle your whole life. Some of you will have victory more than others. But there will come a day when you will be fully delivered, and that is the glorification of our life at the great inheritance with Jesus. But let me, let me tell you something, is that until that day, you are still chosen and you're still appointed by God to be his ambassador on this earth. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind, they hated me first. When someone attacks me, they attack the government by which I represent. God is my defender. I do not have to counterattack. As Jesus says, my responsibility is to, the command is to love them and then take it to the king. Some of you guys, you're not trying to defend God. You're trying to defend yourself. Our goal as an ambassador is to follow the commands of our constitution in the kingdom of heaven, which is the teachings of Christ and the apostles by which he commissioned. We are to follow the command of love and we are to take all of our issues up with the king. And remember, if they hate you, keep in mind they hated him first. Verse 19, he says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Some of you guys, that's your problem. You want to be loved by the world. So you know what you do? You cut a corner here. You ignore that you're an ambassador here. You neglect that you're a child of God over here. And you just kind of cut the corners of who you are as a follower because you want to be loved by the world. But let me tell you, if you belong to the world, they would have no problem with loving you. And as long as you belong to a new citizenship of heaven, then the world will always have a problem with you. 
As it is, you do not belong to the world. You belong to God. But I have chosen you out of this world. That is why the world hates you. It doesn't matter what people think. Jesus picked you. He chose and appointed you to be his ambassador. Have you ever been picked in school to run an errand? In school. Anybody here? Old folks too? When I was in school, they used to uh, have these projectors, these film projectors. You guys remember film projectors or slide projectors where you put a cassette tape in and when it beeps, you go, when it beeps, you turn the knob. Beep. And you turn it. You guys remember those? No. Well, I do. And uh, they also had these reel-to-reel projectors. And I thought those reel-to-reel projectors were just the coolest thing. And whenever we showed a movie in class, we didn't just wheel in the TV or look to the wall because now a lot of schools have TVs on every wall. And every We had to go and sign out a projector from the AV room. Okay, and it was a great chance to get out of class. So whenever it was, who wants to get the projector? Oh, 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 Miss Cotta, Miss Cotta. It would be me. I would want to go. About 10 of you know who that is. I would want to go. So it gave me a chance to get out of class. So what the teacher would do, she would pull out a piece of paper out of her desk, and she would write my name on it, and she would hand it over to me, and it would be an official document. You know what that official document was called? A hall pass. Sometimes it was a it was a it was like a stick or a paddle or whatever. Paddles were weird. Here's a hall pass. <laughs> I will use it if you don't return. So, but the, you you get this hall pass, and all of a sudden you're like perusing the hall. It you know it's on the other side of the building, but you take the long route all the way around because you're just hey. You know, I'm, I'm out of class. And you, you know where your friends are at. So you go to the room and you hand out, you're outside the door going. They're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're like. You know, and so you're just walking. You're like, you can't stop me. I got a hall pass. I got a document. I've got authority that says I can go where you can't go. So you got this. And then all of a sudden the other teachers, they come walking out. What are you doing out of class? Hall pass, I've got my papers right here. You've got your hall pass. I may not be the smartest kid in class, but I was picked, and nothing can stop me. You see, I wasn't the smartest kid in class, but I love to get the projector, right? They didn't pick who got the projector based on who was smart. It was usually one of these. Uh, yeah, you. It, was, it seems so non-insequential, right? But we don't know why God picks and points and cho- chooses to be his kids. We, we don't know how that works. I'm just glad I'm one of them because I'm not the smartest kid in class. And I'm not the most talented kid in class. And I'm not the class favorite. But the father picked me, and he wrote me a hall pass. You see, this is exactly what Christ has done for us. You may not think that you're good enough. You may not think that you're talented enough. You may not even think that you're ready, but you have been chosen. Your name is written on the Lamb's Book of Life, and you have been given a hall pass as the ambassador. And this is now my hall pass. When I walk into a room and they say, what right do you have to be here? My answer is, I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I'm here as a representative of the kingdom of God. What are you here for? See, I have authority with that, with that declaration. 
Paul was on the bottom of the list of who God should pick. The Apostle Paul, also known as Saul, was a guy who was zealously against, that means fiercely against, enthusiastically against Christians. He spent a large part of his adult life persecuting, tracking them down, beating them, being responsible for the death of some of them. He was not a man who, uh, who was a good man. He was, he was an evil-hearted, malicious killer of Christians. And God says, <laughs> you're the last person on the list that anybody would ever think would be chosen, appointed by me. But guess what, Paul? I pick you. And when he knocked him off his horse on the way to go arrest some Christians, by the way. He knocked him off this horse, and he made Saul blind, Paul blind. And he said, Paul, go back into the city of Damascus. There's going to be a man named Ananias. He's going to help you. He's going to, you talk to him about what happened to you, and just leave that up to, to, to me. And so Ananias is appeared to by Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, I'm sending you Paul, the persecutor. You know, Saul, that guy who everybody's afraid of, he's coming to you. And Ananias says, I don't want anything to do with him. He, he's an he's a evil, malicious person. But this is what God tells him in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go to this man. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. A Gentile is basically anyone that's not Jewish, so that makes all of us, unless you're Jewish, which you might be. I don't know everybody's heritage. Point is, if you're not a Jewish person, you're called a Gentile, and Jesus says, I picked him to be the instrument of my message. You may be at the bottom of the world's list, but you are God's chosen instrument. On your campus, you are God's chosen instrument instrument. In that office tomorrow, you are God's chosen instrument. When you drive that truck, you are God's chosen instrument to carry his name to the world. In high school, you are God's chosen instrument. On that campus in college, you are God's chosen instrument to carry his message to that world in which God placed you. On that block, in your neighborhood, on that sports team. You are God's chosen messenger to give hope to the world as his ambassador. In that gym, you are God's chosen instrument to be his voice, to be his messenger. Every Sunday, I have to embrace this idea and say to myself, at this moment, right now, at, at, you know, when I get to come up here at 10.30 to however long I can talk without getting in trouble, until I'm done, I am God's chosen instrument to be his message to whoever God sends to be in this room. I embrace that. It is a challenge that I take very seriously, and you may not have a platform like this, but you have a platform when you walk into that office building, when you pull into that parking spot, when you walk into that classroom, mom, if you're at home, or dad, if you're an at-home person, when you walk out of that house, your neighborhood is your mission field, and you're God's chosen instrument. Those kids that you have, God has made you the chosen vessel, the instrument to be his voice to that generation, to those young people. Listen, you may not be 
the person that you would think God would pick, but you are the one he picked and he chose. Chosen for this moment. God's chosen instrument. When you're driving and you see someone on the side of the road that's having car trouble and you have knowledge of cars, you're God's chosen instrument. When you have someone who's in financial trouble and you live in abundance, you are God's chosen instrument. When you see someone who's sad and weak and and depressed and you have the life and light of Christ, you are God's chosen instrument. Christian, you are an ambassador of God to carry out his message and his mission. You are given the ministry of reconciliation as though God were making his appeal through you. You have your hall pass. Now get out of the classroom and do something. Do you believe that God sent you? That's the real question. You're not just a tourist in this strange land trying to get in as much pleasure spots as possible. We are ambassadors with a mission. Here's the third thing, and I want to end with this thought, is that you never represent yourself. You always represent God. If I was the ambassador of Egypt, I would relay the agenda of the government that sent me. Their agenda, not mine. You, follower of Christ, are sent by God. You represent the kingdom of God and his agenda. Everything you do, you are a rep of the kingdom of God. And you represent Jesus. You may be the only Jesus that your workplace will ever get to know. You may be the only Jesus that that campus ever gets to see. Jesus modeled it in John 6, 38. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Many of you guys know the Lord's Prayer. Part of it says, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You might think, well, Ted, as a pastor, you're held to a higher level of accountability, you know, in the way that you spend your money. That is true. In the way that I spend my time, that is true. In, in the way that, that I use my words, that is true. On Facebook, I, I, I do have, have my posts. I, I have to, to give a level of accountability to you and to God. But guys, listen, not just my life, but if you are a follower of Christ, it's your life too. Because you are representative of the kingdom of God. See, this is why understanding who you are in Christ is so significant. When you understand that you are a beautiful masterpiece, you stop disrespecting yourself and rise to the challenge of who you know you are and who you're created to be. That was week one. Last week, when you understand that you are a child of God, and you have this unique position in the world to make uh, a sense of change and difference, then, then you rise to the challenge as to how you live a holy life as a child of God. And if you can understand that you are ambassador, that you are his representative, that you might think that you're insignificant and you're not that important or that nobody's paying attention to you, they are. They are 100%. Some of you, you're Christians and you don't even want to tell anybody because... You know that if you say something, eyes will be on you. Guys, it's time to rise and embrace who you are. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. We are crucified with Christ. 
A couple of sub-thoughts as a representative is number one. As his representative, we must treat people diplomatically. What does that mean? That means that we treat people with gentleness and respect. Christians should be the most respectful, gracious, generous, loving, compassionate people on the planet, not these hate mongers, stone throwers, picketers that are just angry all the time. As representatives of another kingdom, we must represent and treat people diplomatically. Let's see what that means. In Ephesians 4, 1, it says, as a prisoner or a resident for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Guys, some of you make very little effort to keep the unity of bond of peace among among your life. I mean, when there's trouble, some of you guys are right on the front line, in trouble, stirring the pot, angry, fight, 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 fight. You know, we should be the ambassadors of Christ representing humility, gentleness, graciousness, kindness. Some of you guys, well, you know what? Sometimes you just got to stand for the truth. Sometimes you just got to stand for the truth. Absolutely. But you can stand for the truth and be gentle. Look at this passage in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Ambassador, how are you treating people? Are you gentle? Are you patient? Are you loving? We can be bold and on point without being abrasive and angry. We should be gentle and respectful and stand firm with gentleness and humility and respect. And here's the second thing about a representative is that as his representative, you have the power to act on behalf of the kingdom of God. I don't want to end with this thought right here. As his ambassador, you speak and live with authority and you do not need to be fearful. You have your hall pass. You know, a few years ago, Nicole and I, we were invited to go to a Mavs game, but not just any Mavs game. We were invited to go with the Mavs founder, Don Carter. Uh, we had a, there were some people in our church that uh, did the flooring in his house, and he says, you know what, let me treat you to a Mavs game, bring somebody with you, and they brought Nicole and I. So we showed up at Don Carter's house. If you don't know who Don Carter is, then you need to know your Dallas history. He's the founder of the Mavs. He's still currently a small owner of the, of the Mavericks uh, with um, Mark Cuban, but he's the founder. Half the building's downtown. He had a play in, a roll in. Of course, he did a whole string of popular uh, real estate ventures and bowling lanes and all this, but he's most known for the Mavericks. Well, as someone who is the founder of the Mavericks, and, and uh, I tell you, uh, we went to his house. He put us in his car, and we were in his pickup truck, extended cab, pretty nice, pretty big, four-door. And uh, so there were all of us, six of us were in his truck. And we drove to American Airlines Center. Now, if you've ever been there before, I mean, you just kind of park wherever. But no, not when you were Don Carter. And there was like this secret entrance. This door went up. And we're like, it's like going in the bat cave. You know, you're like way underground. And it's like, this, it's really cool. And we're like driving into this like, like 
VIP parking spot. And we get out of the car, and we're like, all these like super expensive, high-end cars were everywhere. And we're like, he goes, just come with me. And he takes us to this elevator. And this elevator was like... <laughs> It felt like it was you were in some secret mission type thing, and he's just shooting the breeze. He's got his cowboy hat on. That's you know that's kind of his traditional look. He's got his cowboy hat on, and he's just good. He's a good old boy, and he's he's so nice, so kind. We were just talking and shooting the breeze. We got in the elevator. We got out. We came off on this VIP floor, and all the wives of all the players were just all over the place, the family and the kids. And we went into this room, and it was a it was a, where the food was at. And he goes, just help yourself. Have anything you want. And this is where all the players eat, where all the, you know, they're already on the court, uh, you know, warming up. And, you know, so we're just, this is crazy. We're like, these are wives of the players. I don't even know who they are, but some of you guys don't know exactly who they are because you've seen the television show. Um, so uh, we're, we're, and then he's like, uh, okay, come with me. So we walk down and we walk into, we come out of this secret door out of the, and onto the auditorium area. And we're just kept walking. We just kept walking. I'm like, and, and we sit like, on on the on the court, uh, on we're on on the court, and uh, literally, <laughs> literally, uh, say this is the this is the that's the court. I'm I'm five feet away. Guys were 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 you know fouling and throwing in from like I could like push him, and and I'm like this is amazing. I'm like like ah the sweat's flying on me, and I'm I. <laughs> I go to get a picture, and I and I get a picture, and Nicole stands up and she's like, "Look behind you, Troy Aikman's behind us." Yo, what up? I'm with Don Carter. Literally, Troy Aikman, two rows behind me, and and I'm like, "This is awesome." I had, I was a nobody. I am a nobody, and and I have no authority in that place. I do not have the representative power to get into that secret garage or to take that elevator or to get into that dining hall or to walk down to the front. Oh, by the way, midway through the game, we went up to a suite and we finished out the game in a suite. I don't have any authority to do all that. But when I'm with the one who's in charge, I have all access. I'm a representative of Jesus Christ. And when I was with Don Carter, I had some authority to walk down to the front. If I left the group and went to the bathroom, I had a pass now. And I could walk straight down to the court. Why? Because I was given authority by Don Carter. Some of you guys, listen, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, you have been given all access authority to the spirit realm. You have been given a a measure of authority that you need to embrace When it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to dealing with people, the Apostle Paul often said that I am the lowest on the list, I'm not a great speaker, but with the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit, people are being saved and you are understanding. This is something he said in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 8. He says, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord. But our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. Don't be ashamed of using the authority because you represent Jesus Christ. When someone is sick, step into the situation. Excuse me, I'm a representative of the kingdom of God. May I be of assistance here? And use that authority that you've been given to pray to lead, to help, to counsel, to encourage. 
Because you have authority as an ambassador. You've been given a pass. Let me put it this way. If I were to stand in the middle of the street and try to stop traffic, you'd probably run me over. But if I have a badge on my shirt, I have the authority of the government on my side, and you must stop or you will be arrested. Guys, listen, you have authority as an ambassador, as a child of God, as someone who is purchased by the king into a mission. You know, maybe you as a parent have seen this. You have two kids fighting in the other room, and one walks in and says, they won't leave me alone. They won't stop. Tell them to stop. I did tell them to stop, but they won't. Tell them dad said stop. Dad said to stop, fool. You know, dad said to stop. What? That's right. I have the authority of dad. And maybe that whole conversation doesn't go down quite like that. But it does usually involve stop. No, well, dad said so. Oh, okay. When dad gets involved, the authority level changes. Guys, listen, you have the authority of dad. You have the authority of the father. When the kingdoms of darkness descend upon your life and upon the ones that you love, when spiritual attack comes, don't be afraid. In Jesus' name, you have authority, not elected, but chosen as an ambassador to your world, as God's agent of change and reconciliation. That makes your role at work really important. That makes your role on the campus really important. That makes your role in your family really important. When you know who you are, you know what to do. I want to end with this verse in 2 Corinthians. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then he makes an invitation. And this is my invitation to you. The next verse, he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who is sinless, took our sin upon himself so that we could become righteous in him. You can be reconciled. You can be fixed. You can be in harmony and restored and made right with God in Christ. So today is your day, the great exchange. You can take your sin and exchange it for righteousness. And with that righteousness comes a great responsibility because you become one who extends that message of reconciliation to everyone that you have contact with. So you're not just you, Christian. You are an ambassador. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you, Lord, that in this room right now there are those that that God are not followers of Jesus Christ, perhaps. There are those in this room that maybe they they don't understand all that you've done for them, but they understand enough to say, Jesus, count me in. God, I want that grace. I want that forgiveness. I want that purpose. I want that sense of direction. I want to be in harmony with God. Some of you, you've been searching for years and years and can't figure out why church isn't fixing you because you got church. You don't have Jesus. You've got that system. You've got that religion. 
You've even maybe got the right belief system, but you haven't submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. He's called and appointed and chosen you. So I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that this morning. If you're here today and you'd like to acknowledge that, yes, that's me, then I want to pray for you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning and you'd like to exchange your sin for his righteousness, if you'd like to receive his grace and forgiveness and begin that process of of reconciliation, then I want to lead you in a very unique time of prayer. Right where you're sitting, where you just talk to Jesus for a moment, say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Go ahead and talk to him in your own words. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Go ahead and tell him, say, Jesus, God, I'm turning from myself and I'm turning to you to the best of my ability of what I understand. Father, help me to follow you. Go ahead and tell him something like that. Father, I turn to you. I will follow you. Go ahead and and invite the Holy Spirit to have full reign in your life. Spirit of God, move in me, work in me. I will follow you. I will try my best to follow your lead. And I want us to pray all this together. Father, help me to be an ambassador. God, you've called me into a world that is filled with chaos and pain and confusion and just weirdness. But God, you are one of purpose and design and peace. God, help us to be one who gives that message boldly, but with gentleness and respect. Father, I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.